0: Hello, amazing parents and caretakers. And welcome to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. I'm your family empowerment coach, Celia Kibler. I'm a mom of a blended family of five kids. I'm a grandma of nine kids, an author, a teacher, a speaker, and a consultant with over 40 years of training and real-life parenting experience. I'm here to offer you practical, doable tips, strategies, and techniques that will pump up your parenting skills and create peace love and laughter throughout your family. In addition, I'll be interviewing some great humans that are on a mission to make your life a better, happier, and healthier life. So let's not waste any time and get started with the next episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. We're going to have a great discussion today that I hope you guys are uh, looking forward to, because certainly I am, because it's all about substance abuse and our kids and how we can help them, how we can prevent it, and the signs to look for what to do if you think that there's a possibility that your child may be using some kind of substance to get through their day. So I have a wonderful guest here. His name is Richard Capriola, and he is a mental health and substance abuse counselor with over two decades of experience. He recently retired from the Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, where he treated both adults and adolescents diagnosed with substance use disorders. He is the author of a wonderful book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And it has an accompanying parent workbook. This is something you guys all should get. This should be on your shelves. So I would like to welcome you, Rick. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me so that we can share some of this very important information about adolescent substance abuse to parents. Parents often feel uh, afraid, uh, scared of this topic. And I think that uh, knowledge is power. And that's why I wrote my book. So hopefully we can begin the process of giving them some helpful information today.
0: Absolutely. And and it's something every parent worries about, every parent. I don't think yeah. there's a parent out there that's not like at watching their child grow, thinking, you know, will they turn to drugs? Will they turn to alcohol? Will they turn to some abusive behavior? And there are way too many of them, you know, to self-soothe, self-medicate, really get through their day. You know, I, yeah. I when I'm coaching my parents, either- in my Tranquility Tribe or one-on-one, I often talk about exercising their disappointment muscle. I, I own a fitness company for kids that I've owned since 1987. I founded it with my sister called FunFit. And although we, we exercise a lot of muscles through fitness, I always tell parents from the beginning, you wanna start exercising that disappointment muscle and that waiting muscle. Because if you are trying to make your children happy all the time through life, let's face it, when they become an adult and things don't always go your way, because why things don't always go your way, they're not going to know what to do with that. So when they get disappointed, let's not just make them happy. Let's let them realize that disappointment is not the end of the world. You can get through it. In fact, you can grow a lot from it. So I'm always talking about that because children that grow up thinking the world's going to give them their way every day, they enter into teenagerhood and they're like going through that awkward stage and they don't know what to do with it. And they're friends, they have this strong sense of belonging and if they don't feel like they belong in your home they're going to go find a place to belong it won't be good and that's when i think they really get involved in the whole substance abuse and
1: i, I think other that's kinds a of abuse. I think that is such wonderful advice for parents to, to recognize that disappointment is a part of life and how we deal with it uh, is, is very important. And I also think you're right in that many parents are afraid of this topic of substance abuse and, and 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 that causes them to avoid it and not get the information that they need. And then there's other parents who just believe it'll never happen to their kid. Uh, but, but there is no, no child that is totally protected protected. There are protective environments, but there is no child that's protected, uh, totally protected. It doesn't matter where you live, uh, urban, suburban, rural. It doesn't matter what your income level is. It doesn't matter the quality of the school your children are going to or the religion you belong to. Every child is vulnerable to being captured uh, and taken up by alcohol or substances.
0: It- and that is so important. And I'm so glad you talked about that because some people go, Exactly, I've heard parents say, oh, that won't happen to my child. You know, we send them to the best schools. We do this. We do that. But in reality, it's everywhere. How many people in the world, just ask yourself, how many people in the world do you know that don't drink alcohol? I, I'm not happy to be one of them, but that's only because I really don't like it but there are not that many. There are not that many. So if you think your child is hidden from the world of drugs and alcohol and now with marijuana being legalized, not and I'm not getting into whether we agree or we don't agree with that, but then there's another drug that's easily gotten and vaping and all these things that are toxic to your children, but the substance, the alcohol, the, the drugs, That is there, and people use it to get them through their day.
1: Yes, and it's not only there. But these kids know that it's available. When we ask them, how easy is it for you to get a drug like marijuana? 79% of high school seniors tell us it's very easy for them to get it if they want it. Over 80% tell us it's, it's no problem getting alcohol if they want it. So these drugs are readily available. And also, these kids don't think these drugs are very harmful. So when we ask high school seniors, how, how harmful do you think it is to smoke marijuana? marijuana? on a a regular basis, only 30% of high school seniors tell us they think that's harmful. So Mm. the drugs are available. And the perception among kids is they're they're no big deal. They're they're not very harmful.
0: And I feel like in this day and age, everything starts earlier with the internet, with all this information out there, a lot great information, a lot not so great information, and the availability to it from a very young age, what in your opinion, Rick, is when, well let me try say this another way. when is the age that you think it's really being a factor now? You know used to be when we were 16 when, when you know you and I were growing up, I didn't get involved with drugs or alcohol. I didn't see that until probably my mid-teen years and, and we didn't really have a lot of it where I grew up. I can't remember one one. I think it was drugs that was more prevalent than than alcohol. But when now, like when do you see it showing up in children's lives nowadays?
1: I think it's the teenage years, uh, you know, uh, beyond age 12, certainly uh, uh, 15, 16, 17 year olds. I think uh, we see a lot in that category. That was a lot of who I treated uh, at Menninger Clinic was in that, you know, 15 to 17 age group. But uh, you know, again, every child is vulnerable. I've seen kids as young as eight and nine and ten years old who were uh, getting into inhalants. I tend to see them using inhalants at a very, very young age. Um, So it can happen at any time. And I think the message to parents is you need to start being aware of this issue and you need to start working with your child as early as you can. It's never too late. Even if your child is 16, 17 or 18 years old, it's never too late. But if you have a preteen, a youngster that's pre-teenage or early teenage, you know, that's the time to begin to develop the foundation of communication with this child and to begin the education process where you are talking to them about how their brain works and the neuroscience behind it and the importance of of that child protecting a developing brain. Because these kids know very little about the neuroscience of their brain. They don't realize how vulnerable their brain is and that it's in the process of developing, our brains don't get fully developed until 24, 25, around that age. So it's very important that we do what we can to protect a child's developing brain. And parents can help educate that child and talk to that child about the importance of their developing brain. You can start at any age, but obviously, the earlier you start, the more likely you are to have an impact on that child.
0: Absolutely. And, and we actually, as parents, if you think about it, we start the conversation very early. When, when a child has to take an antibiotic for being ill, that's a teaching moment. When the child takes vitamins, I remember uh, chewable aspirin, which I now have to take since I had my heart attack last year. Like, I still like chewable aspirin. In my, <laughs> in my pill pack, I asked for the chewable ones. And I remember <laughs> as a child us loving when we got to have chewable bear aspirin. And I remember my sister also eating an entire bottle, almost an entire bottle of chewable bear aspirin because she thought of it as candy and she found it in a cabinet and she had to get her stomach pumped. And so we are introducing medicine use and drug use very early and that's a teaching moment, guys. That's the time you want to start talking about it, even to your two-year-old, your three-year-old. We don't only to ta- even vitamins because now they're made so yummy. They're gummies and they're all delicious things. And that's something you don't want to abuse. Yeah. So there's always these teaching moments through childhood that you can start talking about the brain development and abuse of certain substances. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And you can start that, as you say, at a very early age, and you can introduce it in the, into the child in different formats and different opportunities as that child gets older. And as that child does get older, you can start to introduce the, how drugs affect the brain. You might want to start it at an early age, just teaching them about the importance of the brain and what the brain does and what the functions are. And then after they get a little bit older, maybe start to talk to them about how certain drugs interact with the brain and the importance of, of keeping keeping their brain protected and, and, and protecting their brain. So I agree. The earlier you can do these conversations uh, around health and work in the neuroscience of the brain and then how drugs can affect the brain, I think that can have a powerful impact on children as they grow older. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, I always talk about the you know that the human brain doesn't develop till you're 25. And so that parents begin to understand the brain of their child, the brain of their toddler, the brain of their elementary age student, the brain of their teenager, and know that this is not an adult you're talking to. Their brain is not an adult um, capacity. It is right. not fully developed, e- even to the point of parents that don't require their children to wear helmets when they ride bikes. You have to protect, protect that brain. Once that brain's damaged, it's, it's damaged. And it's important for you as a parent to realize the brain that your child has. And it's important for you to let them know the importance of protecting their brain and the rest of their body and living healthy and being a role model for that health and wellness. Exactly. What? So if someone's thinking, Wow. You know, I wonder what's going on. Like, I, I tell the story of my children. And when my oldest stepson came to live with us in eighth grade, which is when I tell parents the aliens come and they take your child away to the mothership. And hopefully your child comes back. Some come back sooner than later. And that all happens in eighth grade. So be prepared. Uh, and, and this particular child of mine did not come back for a very long time, but he was putting up something as simple as posters. So in his room, there were posters of all these different kinds of weed. There was a, a Bob Marley poster. There was some other drug poster. In my daughter's room, there were posters of cars. And in my son's room, who was pretty young at the time, there was posters of like, you know, cartoon characters and things like that. And I said, those walls tell a lot
1: <laughs>
0: and you can see where, you know, their interest lies. And in fact, he was, of course, using drugs, uh, took a while to convince everybody that he was, but in my eyes, all I had to do is look at the walls and say, well, where are our interests?
1: And i think so. I think that's an excellent example of a warning sign that uh, the parents need to be aware of and 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 sort of tune into when they see those kinds of things going on in their child's room that's That's an excellent example of of what I refer to as warning signs that many parents just simply miss, and then later they come back to to say, "Well, how did I miss the warning signs Well Part of the reason they missed the warning signs was nobody told them what to look for. You know, they're good parents, but nobody, nobody took the time. Nobody educated them on the warning signs to look for. And that's why I put so many of these warning signs in my book. Parents need to know what these warning signs are, what to look for, uh, so that later on they don't look back and say, now I can see the warning signs, but I didn't see them at the time. It's, it's, it's best to know what they are in advance. So what are
0: some other warning signs people can look for, parents can look for as their children get older?
1: It depends on the substance. I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have different warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I also have warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-harming because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes these can accompany a child using a substance. So parents need to know what those warning signs are as well. As a general rule, I recommend that parents pay attention to the changes that they see in their child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to those changes you see. Don't assume that they're just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They, they, they may very well be, but they may also be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface. So pay attention to the changes that you see. Pay attention to how long these changes occur. You know, if they happen for a day or two or three, it's probably not too concerning. But if they linger on oh, you know, over a week or more, and the more of these changes you see, maybe you start seeing one, then there's another one, then there's another one. The more of these changes you see, and the duration of these changes uh, are things that you need to pay attention to. Some examples would be uh, a child that um, was very outgoing. Uh, and talkative now becomes very quiet and and reserved. Uh, A child who used to participate in sports no longer participates, no longer enjoys sports. Uh, A child whose grades are starting to decline uh, a child who was very openly introduced you to who their friends were. You knew who their friends were. You might've even known who their parents were. Now becomes very secretive of their friends. They don't wanna share anything about their friends. So these are some examples of changes that we can see in children that we need to pay attention to. And if you become concerned, um, then I think you need to uh, move forward to get some assessments done so that you can get the professional assessment on what's going on and, and get some guidance on what the next step should be. But, but pay attention to the warning signs.
0: That's such great advice. And, and don't just say, well, it's teens being teens or that's what's going to happen. Or don't just assume it's like parents that say, well, I'm going to sit and drink with my kids in the basement because they're going to drink anyway. So why not drink with them in a safe environment Don't even assume that they're going to drink anyway. Yes. If you have a lot of drinking going on in your home and your home revolves around partying, chances are your children will drink, or if they haven't already, because it's so readily available, but it doesn't, I mean, you can take me for an example. I don't drink because I had a drinking problem. I don't drink because I don't like it. I don't like feeling that, that feeling that I get. And of course, I'm an extreme lightweight because I don't drink. So even though I have a little, I get that feeling. I personally just like being grounded. I like to be in control of my, my life. But so don't just assume there are people out there that don't drink and don't use drugs. And yeah. so don't help them along because you think, oh, we're just going to drink together. We're going to do drugs together. So that way I know they're safe because they'll do it anyway.
1: Yes, that's a good point. This this idea that um, uh, I'm going to let my child drink alcohol as long as they only drink here at home uh, is a very dangerous position because those children are very likely when they leave home, they go to college or wherever they go, they are more likely to drink more alcohol than children who are raised in a home environment where alcohol use is discouraged.
0: Exactly. And, and it's in the reality of life and parenting, I tell parents, everything you do, you give your children permission to do. Yeah. So if you are giving them permission, well, you know, it's Friday night, let's all hang out and drink it. Why do, why does it make you believe that they're only going to drink in your home? You (laughs) are giving them full permission to use whatever substances you are doing together. So it doesn't limit them to the house. They they have permission to use it and do it and they will do it and use it wherever they feel comfortable using that's, it.
1: That's true. That's very true.
0: And then of course you go back to the brain if you're helping the destruction of their brain along by really promoting the use of whatever substance you're promoting. Yes. So let's, um, I want to ask you a little bit about how you believe the pandemic has really affected child abuse, child abuse, which is another story, (laughs) substance (laughs) abuse with children.
1: I think that the pandemic um, has had a a serious impact on the mental health of, of both adults and adolescents. And I think we're just, beginning to scratch the surface on how serious those mental health effects have been for adults and for adolescents. The Centers for Disease Control has already noted that since the pandemic began, there's been a rather large increase, I think over a 20% increase in the number of emergency room visits by grade school children who are in need of mental health care. And there's also been a large increase, I think over a 30% increase among teenagers who are in need of mental health care. So kids have been pulled away due to the pandemic from their social involvement, from their academic involvement, from their sports involvement. For such a long period of time, They have been many of them isolated at home. Uh, Many of them uh, afraid of the pandemic, afraid of what it's going to do. Um, and 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 that is a, a, a disruption in their in many sleep patterns, their eating patterns, uh, their school performance. Uh, many of them have engaged in excessive worry, irritability, depression. So the pandemic has had a, a very very strong impact on the mental health of kids and on adults. Um, They've been isolated at home, so many of them have been spending hours and hours and hours glued to either their telephone or to their gaming system. Um, So uh, I I would also say that as we transition back into the traditional school setting, that will also be a challenge for many of these kids. Uh, Many of these kids are going to struggle with getting back into that so-called normal uh, school um, you know, attendance pattern. Um, that will be an adjustment for some children. So parents just need to be aware of of this impact. Be sensitive to it. If your child, you know, is struggling a little bit as they get back into school, recognize that, that, that that's what's going on and, and work with the child and work with the school and the teachers and try to make that transition as smooth as possible. For a lot of kids, it'll be no problem at all. But for some kids, they may struggle with getting back into this routine for a while. A while
0: absolutely and I think that goes back to what you said earlier about tuning into your kids and and being aware of what they're feeling and what they're doing and and recognizing that. And if you need help, reach out for help. If you don't know how to talk to your children, if you don't know how to build the trust and respect that I teach all my parents to build from early on. So when they hit teenager they they feel Bonded to their family. They feel like they have someone to talk to. They don't feel like nobody in the world cares about what they have to say or values their opinion. They feel valued and trusted and respected. Reach Absolutely. out to someone for help if you're not sure what to do. These are the lives of your children. And yeah, Hedrick.
1: I think that that's excellent advice. Uh, I, I I suggest to parents that there is a skill that they can work on and that they can develop that can make a big, significant uh, difference in in their relationship with their child, and and that is a communication uh, skill of, of of listening. We're good at listening to each other's words when we talk to each other and when we talk to our children. We 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 hear their words, but sometimes we don't tune in. Sometimes we don't hear the feelings that are underneath those words. And that's a skill that every parent can learn, that every parent can practice. So that when you're talking to your child, you're not just hearing the words, you're hearing the feelings and you're reflecting those feelings back to the child to to get affirmation that what you're picking up on is correct. It's a skill you can practice. It's a skill that you can work with a professional uh, to, to, to practice the skill on. But once you learn and master this skill, and you don't have to become an expert at it, you just have to tr- work at it, um, I think you'll see a difference. You could potentially see a major difference in the relationship with your child, because the child will begin to understand that you're not just hearing their words, you're hearing their feelings. And and that's a skill that you can develop whether your child is 16 or 17, or your child is six or seven. Uh, so I encourage parents to work on that skill, practice the the listening skill. Um, and, and 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 you'll get better with it as you practice. And if you need help with that skill, uh, turn to a professional that can help you practice that skill and reflect back to you. It's a skill that I guarantee you will pay dividends down the road.
0: Absolutely. And you know, in my uh, Pumped Up Parenting group on Facebook, in the files section, I actually have a listening game that you can play with your kids between you and your partner and you and your kids. And each parent play with their kids. And it's all about focused listening and recognizing those feelings and not interrupting. It's really to get in the habit of just listening. Yes, that's a great skill. Thing.
1: That's that's and great. I'm glad you, you offer that. I'm glad yeah. you offer that. and And because I think, I think, you know, most of us are not aware of this. Most of us didn't even know anything about this as we're, as we're raising kids. So that's a skill every parent can learn. And, and if you have a tool that allows them to practice it, that's perfect.
0: Yeah, it's because parents are so quick, unfortunately, to judge, to criticize, to interrupt, to not hear what their child's saying. So that's the whole purpose. I actually found that game when I was certified in children's yoga. And we, we played it, you know, we played the listening game and I carried it in because it was so great. And when I do it in my camps and these are camps for three to six year olds, they love this game. They love to just sit there and talk and have someone sit there and listen completely to them. And why do you think that is, is because parents tend not to do that. And here they are (laughs) in a situation where they get to just talk, 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 and have someone listen. And you'll be king of the conversation if you really listen to what your child's saying, you know, through words and feelings.
1: Absolutely. And and that will develop the trust that can pay off down the road with your child so that when they are struggling with something or they're having a difficulty, they feel comfortable coming to you because you will understand what they're feeling, not just what they're saying.
0: So, Let me ask you a question about drugs and what's going on out there in the world. There are all these crazy, ridiculous social media challenges. There was that Tide Pod thing where everybody was eating Tide Pods, you know, sometimes you just have to shake your head what children will do and teens will do and in the teenage brain. They they get like bonus things to their brain. Parents, if you didn't know, they get wired for risk. That's why they take risks a lot more. They get wired for belonging. That's why they'll find a place to belong if they don't feel like they belong in your home. home. That's why you want to make that con- connection. You want to build that trust and respect. And they get wired to be with their friends. So don't take it personally. Their brain's actually wired to be with their friends, not always you, but- there are so many crazy things out there that kids will do. What are a lot of the drugs that and substances that you see that are becoming so prevalent? Because I know they're different from back in the seventies when I was in high school.
1: And the drugs are much different uh, than what they were in the seventies. Even marijuana is uh, much more potent, much more, uh, uh, much more potentially dangerous than what it used to be because the psychoactive component, the THC in it, is is much more powerful than it was back in the 60s and even the 70s. Kids are still attracted to alcohol and marijuana. Those are the two primary substances that, that teens use by far. Um, There is some experimentation among uh, the harder core drugs, but uh, the percentages tend to be less than 5% of kids who are using things like LSD and cocaine and and even prescription drugs like Ritalin and Adderall. Those tend to be far less percentages uh, than what we see with marijuana and alcohol. What is concerning, however, is in the last few years, there has been an explosion, a dramatic increase in the number of kids who are vaping a substance, where they take a substance, they use a vaping instrument, and it turns it into a vapor that they inhale. In the last three years, we've seen dramatic increases in the percentage of kids who are vaping things like nicotine, they're vaping marijuana, um, and and the percentage has just gone really, really high. For example, three years ago, the percentage of high school seniors that were vaping marijuana was around 9%. Today, it's closer to 22%. -hmm the number of uh, high school seniors 3 years ago that were vaping nicotine was 18% today it's closer to 34% it's stabilizing a little bit but when we compare it to just a few years ago there's been a dramatic increase in 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 vaping and there is some studies starting to come out that are showing that uh, for both adults and, and adolescents who vape, uh, some of them are reporting difficulty in things like concentrating and remembering. But, uh, but this vaping <clears throat> epidemic is really capturing these kids' attention. That is, those
0: are wild statistics. And what yeah. a fast increase of growth. So yes. it is really dependent, parents, that you are aware of what's going on, Excuse me. And you build that trust and respect with your child early on so that they know they can come to you for help. They know that you're the person that's in their back pocket that really supports them. Excuse me. They are aware that, you know, if they have a problem, you've got their back you unconditionally love them and show them that love. So any last words of advice for parents, either, you know, in what they need to look for or what they should be doing if they suspect their child's abusing any advice at all that you'd like to offer? Well, if
1: you suspect your child is using a substance, um, first have a conversation with your child. Uh, hopefully use these listening skills that we've been talking about and see what information you can get. Um, that's likely to be a conversation that's going to go one or two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive, or you might actually learn a few things with the conversation. But, but regardless of how that first conversation goes or the second conversation, you um, mm-hmm. You need to, if you're still concerned, you need to move to get the assessments that I talk about in my book. You need to get an addictions assessment so that you know the extent of the substance use and the diagnosis if it's appropriate. You need to get a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment to see if there's anything underneath the surface like anxiety or depression or some other issue that your child might be using a substance to medicate. Um, so get those assessments done if uh, if you have any any concerns about your child using a substance. And, and, and the other thing I would say is, if you're a parent and you are struggling with a child who's using a substance, get help for yourself. You know, you need support too, not just your child. Maybe it's a family friend. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's some other professional. But get the support that will allow you to to do well during this journey with your child. And finally, I would say there is hope. Uh, There is hope that your child can get better, that your family can heal, that you can get better. Treatment does work. Uh, Obviously, the sooner you can intervene and get the treatment, the quicker the opportunity Outcome will happen, but there is hope. Your child and your family can get through this. Um, and then I would say, you know, um, learn as much as you can about this issue, become informed. Hopefully, you won't need the information, but it's there if you need it. So uh, don't be afraid of it, uh, don't be paranoid about it. Gather the information. Knowledge is power, and hopefully, you'll feel better prepared in the event that you have to confront this issue.
0: Absolutely. That is all such great advice. And there is always hope, guys. My my stepson struggled with drugs. He wound up, he actually overdosed at one point, survived it. He attempted suicide, survived it, and wound up ultimately going to jail for a few years. But he's doing great now. Great. You know, no longer in, in an abusive uh lifestyle and he has children of his own. He's raising a family. He gets, has a great income, all things. Great. He bought a house a couple of years ago by himself. There is hope, but you want to keep up with it and you want to be able to help your kids and you want to start the foundation. And if you're listening to this broadcast and you don't know, you have little kids and you don't know where to go, reach out to me. Go to talkwithcelia.com and let's talk about what's going on and how I can help you. But another first step I highly recommend is that you go and you get Rick's book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, and the Accompanying Parent Handbook. Start there if you don't know where to start. And doesn't matter the age of your child. This is the time, like Rick said, start educating yourself. Start saying, you know what, if I'm an educated parent, I can be proactive into what's going on with my child and not reactive. One of my favorite statements that my friend, Wendy, who is a parenting coach in Nigeria said is, God forbid is not a parenting strategy. Don't go through life going, well, God forbid my child gets addicted to drugs. God forbid this happens. God forbid that happens. Start being a proactive, intentional parent with what you need to do to get your child to really survive and not just survive, grow, succeed, and become the amazing adult you know they can be. So Rick, how can parents get your book and how can they reach out to you to get help?
1: Um, I would recommend that you go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. There you can read uh, book endorsements, you can read some book reviews, uh, you can read a sample chapter. There's links that will take you directly to Amazon where you can purchase the book or the workbook, the parent workbook. The book is available as a Kindle for people who like to read on their Kindle. It's also available in a paperback for people like uh, myself who like to maybe sometimes make notes or jot down or highlight things. Things. that's available in the paperback uh, the parent workbooks available in paperback all of that's available uh, through Amazon and there's a link that takes people directly to Amazon where they can purchase it the other thing that I would say is when I wrote this book I I wanted it to be a, an easy read for for parents I didn't want to load it down with a lot of scientific jargon I didn't want it to be two or three hundred pages because parents don't have time to read two or three hundred pages so I kept it at about a hundred pages I think it's around a hundred pages the chapters are very concise and very short but they're packed with a lot of information so uh, it's not going to take parents a lot of time to read this they can keep it as a resource as a refresher they can even recommend it to other parents that they that they think might might find it helpful or perhaps who are struggling with a child using a substance uh, and on the website there's also a link where they can contact me and send me a message or if they have a question you know they can reach out to me. So help the addicted child.com.
0: I love that. And, and parents, I always say it is a sign of strength to reach out for help. It is not a sign of weakness. And what is more important than your children? What takes priority over your children? Nothing in my world. I, your children, they're your priority. You decide to have children now let's get them to adulthood. That's why I say because we're raising adults, not children. So let's get them there in the healthiest, most empowering way that we can do it. Reach for help, not sure what to do next. Go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com, read all about it, get Rick's book. You'll be happy you did. And, and And I recommend you even get it physically because then it's on your shelf as things come up that you can refer to it. But that is of course the way you like to read a book. So, Rick, I am so eternally grateful that you joined me on this podcast. I think this is just a wealth of information for our listeners. And uh, I am absolutely thrilled that you are here today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me and, and also to uh, to contribute to our discussion with your own insights and your own experiences. I think those were very helpful. And, and hopefully we were able to uh, at least uh, give some information to the listeners that they'll find helpful. So thank you so much for inviting me and for participating in the discussion with me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was an honor. And I'm thrilled to let Get this information out to parents everywhere because I don't know any parent that's not concerned with it. So let's get out there. Let's be intentional. Let's be proactive and let's help our kids. Okay. Well, that ends another podcast of the Pumped Up Parenting podcast. And always grateful for all of you being here with us and listening. And please share this out if you know someone else that's thinking about this and wondering what steps to do to help their kids share this podcast out. Leave us a comment. Let us know how it helped you. And in the meantime, as always, I wish you guys days filled with peace, love, tons of laughter. Laugh a lot, guys. It really is the best medicine. And we'll see you here next time on the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast and being a part of my mission to stop a million parents from yelling at their kids. Be sure to head over to PumpedUpParenting.com and grab your free copy of The Patient's Playbook. Wishing there was a manual for your toddler? Well, great news. Now there is. Pick up your copy of Raising Happy Toddlers, How to Build Great Parenting Skills, and Stop Yelling at Your Kids plus my three new children's books at celiasbooks.com. That's celiasbooks.com. If you're loving this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends and pay it forward. And also leave a review so I know who you are and can thank you personally. Tune in next time for more tips, advice, and strategies as you continue to pump up your parenting and create childhoods that everyone in your family can blossom from. Have yourself a really happy, fun day. Bye-bye.